sir. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Y'all already know what it is. I'm gonna let it rock out for a second. Hold up. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. I am your host, Leonard Pinkney, here with episode 28 of the Good Look Podcast, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney. I'm feeling real good, y'all, real good, and you know why. You know why. I'm going to get into it in a second, and I can't wait to get into this podcast with y'all once again. Follow me on the socials at L. Pinkney, L-P-I-N-K-N-E-E, Instagram and Twitter, the anchor fm link goes out every week make sure you like rate share subscribe tag my name and anything that you put out send a review it really helps me in terms of getting this podcast out there a little more so appreciate y'all for doing that let's go ahead and get into some nba news before we get into the nitty-gritty and stuff i really want to talk about in this episode so nba news came out the nba season will probably not start before christmas now this is something that's been grumbled about for the for the better part of these couple months it makes sense seeing that this season is most likely going to be ending late September early October and the fact that you'd only have maybe a month and a half before players would have to get ramped up again to play that would be tough but I think the NBA would rather push that out more because that you come up with two dilemmas there You have the eight teams who didn't make the bubble, and now you have to figure out, oh man, they haven't played for like nine months, what are we supposed to do with them? But we have teams who have been playing since July, and won't have enough of a break to really get themselves better um, and recovered. Regardless, in normal seasons, season ends in July, we re-up again in October, so you got July, August, September, you got a good three-month period there. I anticipate this starting somewhere, maybe late January, early February, just to get the guys who are in the finals a little bit more rest before the season starts again. They'll try to probably condense it again, just so they can catch up to the the 2021-2022 year. So that's what I'm anticipating. Um, It makes sense. It, It just sucks that the timing of everything is off, but essentially we'll still have the same amount of break in between the season, so we won't be really missing stuff. Basketball will just be pushed out a little bit more once again, and then hopefully in the next next season, uh, the timing of everything can get back to normal. Mike D'Antoni is out as coach of the Houston Rockets. There were reports that when he got on the team plane, he was already telling people on the staff and, and people within the organization that he was out. Um, so the Rockets, their season ended. They lost in Game 5 to the Lakers. Really wasn't much of a series as I anticipated. Um, but D'Antoni... It's, it's going to be interesting. The Houston Rockets have embodied um, analytics into their into their system. James Harden has been D'Antoni's like, coup de grace, his top piece in terms of how he likes to run an offensive system. He's the, he's the quintessential piece for what D'Antoni likes to run, a guy who can hold the ball and make every decision and score at a, a reasonably efficient rate and still be a great passer. Um, so we're going to see how his system maybe works in a different scene. We got Philadelphia has been out there. Indiana has been out there. There are other teams that are looking for his services. 
I don't think the Knicks are going to try to get him again, obviously, because they have Tom Thibodeau. But um, teams with vacant open spots, we're going to see what they if they want to go ahead and, and pick D'Antoni up. He's been able to turn a lot of mediocre into good and a lot of good into great, at least offensively. So he's going to get another job. We'll see where that lands him next. Nick Nurse for the Toronto Raptors is getting an extension. Uh, shout out to Nick Nurse, reigning coach of the year. Definitely deserves it. Put his heart, sweat, and tears into that Game 7 series against Boston. What an incredible series again, by the way. Absolutely outstanding. Shout out to Nick Nurse for continuing to be innovative, making creative defenses, and, and trying to find ways to keep his guys um, moving forward offensively. It's going to be interesting to see what Toronto does in the offseason. I'll get into them a little bit more in all the other teams once it's offseason time. But you have Fred Van Vliet, who's going to be a free agent. And there are reports that the Knicks are trying to put out an offer sheet to him in the range of about $22 million per year. Some people in the comments were trying to get snippy, but he definitely would be worth it. If you've watched Fred for at least a majority of this season, you know the kind of value he brings to that team, the steadiness he would bring to a team from the point guard position. So he'd be worth it. And $22 million now is not $22 million in like 2010. LeBron was maxed out almost in 2010 at 19. So figures are different. People need to get their minds out of the old way of thinking. If John Wall is going to make $46 million, do you think Fred Van Vliet's worth 22? Absolutely. So we got Serge Ibaka who's going to be a free agent. you got Marcus Sol who's going to be a free agent. So that the roster is going to see some turnover. You don't know what's going to happen with Giannis, even though he said that he wants to come back and he said this and that. Recent NBA history shows us we can't believe anyone until they sign on the dotted line. And even if they do, they can get angry enough to ask out. So Toronto's keeping their options open while keeping one of their most key pieces in-house for a while. Nick Nurse, much deserved on the extension. All rookie teams came out as well as all NBA teams. I'll go into the all rookie teams first. First team, the Rookie of the Year, and the only unanimous selection, John Morant was first team along with Zion. Brandon Clark, also from the Grizzlies. Kendrick Nunn and Eric Pascal from the Warriors. Pascal had an excellent year for Golden State despite them being ravaged with injuries and not looking like the team they will look like this upcoming season. He's going to be a nice part of their rotation going forward, so it's going to be nice to see him develop there. Kendrick Nunn, a part of the great unit in Miami who's been outstanding doing work in the current conference final right now. He who's top three in, in Rookie of the Year voting, so shout out to him. Brandon Clark, um, someone who came in with not too much praise, wasn't a, a, a real high lottery pick, but a guy who can do a lot of different things for you. You saw him in the playing game. He was able to extend his range, hit some corner jumpers, play excellent defense from the four put spot, and he's a Really good athletic player, real good finisher. He's a guy that you want on your team if you want to have a winning franchise, a guy who can just do a little bit of everything and is not asked to score a lot, but can do the little things when asked to. Zion, straightforward, absolutely incredible. 22-7, and seven, despite only playing 31 games this year. Absolutely incredible. And John Morant did it for the entire season, no doubt. 18-7 and seven for the year, no doubt, no-brainer first team. Second team, not really much um, to nitpick here as well. Tyler Hero, excellent season. Still going in the Eastern Conference Final as well. Kid is not scared. 
great shooter, great ball handler, guy who can create. Not He's not just a shooter, he can create as well. Shout out Tyler Hero. Terrence Davis, the second from the Raptors, had a real nice, quiet, sneaky season for them. Kobe White had a bunch of great scoring output games for the Bulls. You have P.J. Washington, who was great from the jump. I think his first game of the season, he made like six threes, and he was able to be a real good stretch for for that Charlotte squad, even though no one knows anything else about him. And Rui Hachimura um, had some had some questions about him coming into the league. People still are a little iffy on him, but he showed some sp- uh, he showed some flashes. He had some games where he was able to use his six eight frame to his advantage, get to the basket, create, and he has a little bit of a mid range. Still has to extend his range on his jumper, but he still showed enough promise to obviously be put on the second team. He made it for a reason. He was a solid player for the Wizards, and he should be part of their franchise moving forward. Not someone you're going to build around, obviously, but a nice piece to, to complement your, your star players like Bradley Beal and John Wall. All NBA teams. Now, these are the 15 best players in the league per season. Um, this means a lot in terms of players' contracts as well because this makes guys qualify for certain incentives in their contracts, including, until we get a new CBA, the max contract provision will let you get an increased amount depending on winning or receiving certain achievements like the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All-NBA Team. If you get that twice or three times, then you qualify for a max or a super max from your team. Clay Thompson a couple years ago was snubbed and he was really mad about it and you can find an interview about it he was really mad because obviously that got him out of 20 or 30 million extra dollars just because the media members didn't vote him for the all nba team they usually get it right so i'm not going to be too mad at that one but someone or a couple people get snubbed every year there's only 15 spots so everyone can't fit but here we go first team Giannis. obviously he's going to be the mvp he was a defensive player of the year as well LeBron, no-brainer, best player on the best team in the Western Conference, still the best player in the world. Luka, a little bit of a surprise, but he definitely deserved it. We're talking about a kid who jumped from 22 to 30 points a night, almost averaged a triple-double, 39-9. and Absolutely incredible first season in his first-round series, solidified that first team, no question. James Harden, numbers still outstanding, still incredible, definitely deserves the first guard or first-team spot. And Anthony Davis. Now, I have a little bit of a gripe with this because in my previous pod, it was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 pods ago. I did it in May. I had Jokic as the first team, um, the last spot on the NBA first team because usually they have it set out to where it's a center that's going to man that position, two forwards, two guards. They mixed it up a little bit this year, which is fine. I think this is what they should do going forward. But if it was going to be a center, Anthony Davis barely plays center and he doesn't want to play center so he he gets the vote here because there was maneuverability with the votes and the positions i hope that's what it continues to be going forward um, but if it was just centers then it should have been Jokic. but the fact that it isn't is fine we can move forward with that i'm good with it second team was Jokic, who definitely deserved it damian lillard Kawhi leonard chris paul pascal siakam no no gripes for me there either Third team, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert, Russell Westbrook. Now, the common thread for all of these guys is that they're winning. All of the players who are in this top 15, they all made the playoffs. They're all great. 
in their own rights, had real good flashes and real good sustained stretches throughout the season. They deserve to be in these 15 spots. Now, some people are saying Joel Embiid, Chris Middleton, um, and especially Bradley Beal shouldn't have or should have made one of these spots. You were going to only get one sixer. Two of the sixers did not deserve to be on this All-NBA team, and Joel Embiid was very inconsistent despite averaging 23 and 11. I would have picked Ben Simmons instead of Embiid as well. Chris Middleton, you can have a gripe there as well, but I only think Giannis probably deserved to be there. Chris Middleton was great across the board in the regular season, but if you do put him on the list, are you taking Tatum, Ben Simmons, or Jimmy Butler off? I'm not going to. I'm not even taking Westbrook off. So, Bradley Beal is the last guy. So he averaged 30-6 and six this year, and there's a stat floating that he is the only player to average 30.6 assists and not be on an All-NBA team now. That's cool. Bradley Beal, outstanding player. Incredibly great this season on the one-man show Wizards. But you were the nine seed on the Washington Wizards. The nine seed in the Eastern Conference. That's trash. You you can't have the 15th best or excuse me, you can't have the 18th best record in the league and expect me to put you ahead of guys like Russell Westbrook, who's the fourth seed in the or five. He top six seed in the West. Ben Simmons, top four seed in the East in your own conference. Jason Tatum, you're not leapfrogging him. And Jimmy Butler for the Heat has been absolutely incredible. 22 points a game in the regular season, but obviously elevates in the playoffs. But we're talking about just a regular season. Miami had a better record than the than the Wizards. And you can try to chalk it up to, hey, better team, this and that. Yes, it's a mix of both. There have been times in the past where you can find examples of this. Tracy McGrady was first team All-NBA, I believe, in 2002, and his team was absolutely crap. So there's obviously examples where the media writers were thinking one way versus another. But I wouldn't put Bradley Beal ahead of any of these guys because, like I said in the beginning, there's a common theme with everyone on the list. Playoff contenders entrenched in the postseason and guys who were great either offensive, defensively, or both. Ben Simmons, incredible year. He was made all first team NBA defensively as well. Jason Tatum, outstanding. Jimmy Butler, come on. Rudy Gobert, they needed another big, so he was going to be in that spot. If you want to switch him with Embiid, I would much rather switch him with Bam, but he wasn't in enough of the votes. And Russell Westbrook, despite him struggling the first half, the second half of the year when he was healthy, absolutely incredible. So I have no gripes with the list. People can get mad if they want to. The NBA teams are just fine. And a quick shout-out to the WNBA. Shout-out Shay Petty. That is her name. Shay Petty of the Phoenix Mercury hit a game winner at the buzzer to beat the Washington Mystics and advance the Phoenix Mercury to the second round. Fun story with Shay. She was originally signed by the Mystics, got cut, picked up by the Mercury because they had issues with injuries, and she's the one that ends up sending them home away from the bubble in this WNBA postseason. Really cool, dope story. Shout out to Shea Petty for for knocking that shot down and getting her team to the next round. All right, y'all. Here it is. It's time. Let me roll that music again. Go ahead now. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man, I cannot, I cannot express to you guys being a lifelong Denver Nuggets fan how good Tuesday evening felt. It was literally one of the greatest nights of my life. To watch the Los Angeles Clippers collapse to none other than my Denver Nuggets. Now let's just let's wind the clock back a little bit. Let's go back a month. Donovan Mitchell is absolutely shitting on us in this first round. Utah Jazz go up 3-1. We look, we look broken down. We have no idea how to guard a pick and roll defensively. We look cooked. And then Jamal Murray goes absolutely nuclear in games 5, 6, and 7. Pulls us out from the depths. And we are a Mike Conley halfway down and out shot from none of this stuff even happening. Y'all remember that, right? Because Jamal... For as great as he was, did a real stupid thing trying to push the ball up and get a layup when all he had to do was pull the ball out. Torrey Craig misses a damn layup, and Mike Conley almost comes down and ends the entire season. We don't get to see any of this stuff happen. Denver advances. Goes to the second round. They play the Clippers, the vaunted Clippers, the heavily favored going to win the NBA championship Los Angeles Clippers because they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, two of the best two-way players in the league. Probably the best two. And they go up 3-1. This is without Lou or Montrez Harrell playing well. Kawhi looked absolutely outstanding in the first round, looked really good through five games in this series. And the Clippers looked amazing. They went up 3-1. They were doing everything they could to stop Jamal Murray. You had Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and Kawhi guarding him on numerous occasions. Jamal could not figure it out. And Jokic did not have enough in the tank by himself to move this team forward. And Michael Porter Jr., who had 15 points in the first half of Game 4, had 0 in the second half and expressed his frustrations. He said that we needed to move the ball more. We needed other guys to score. We needed other guys to help. Now, I defended him. I know that when he said we, he he definitely meant me. I need more shots. But he's young. He's a kid. He'll figure it out. He'll know not to say that to the media anymore. But he was right. The Clippers had locked us down. They gave Jamal no breathing room, trapped him, had long athletic defenders on him, guys who wouldn't get tired because they were pretty much rotating guys onto him. And once he was taken out, it was all on Jokic and the other guys, and the other guys weren't doing it. Jeremy Grant wasn't doing it. Gary Harris wasn't doing it. Torrey Craig couldn't hit open shots. Paul Millsap wasn't doing it. We looked dead to rights. And then game five happened. Clippers go up 16 in the first half. This looks like a wrap. We had, we had Charles Barkley going double guarantee on our ass. Double. 
And then the fun starts. Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris from the Clippers decides he wants to be a tough guy. He's the one that throws the elbow first at Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap takes a little exception. So he pushes him back naturally when you get elbowed in the face. Marcus Morris pushes back and he wants to be a tough guy. Because this is what the Clippers do all year. When they're winning, when they got the lead, oh, they're the best team in the league, damn near. Them and the Lakers. When they up, they puff their chest, they put their signs in the air, they get loud. So that's all the Nuggets needed, apparently, and that's what old man Millie needed. To save this season. Because in the third quarter, he went off. He dropped 16 points and got us right back in the game. And after that, we had Jamal show up a little bit. We had Jokic definitely show up. And we stole game five. Down 16. At the half. Came back and won the game. Now the Clippers are still up 3-2. It's fine. It's fine. And they go up 19 this time. But guess what happened? I didn't even talk about the MPJ clutch jumper. Let me get into that real quick. Boy talking his crap and then backing it up with a ridiculous three. Splick hack. Game six. In the home blacks. Best jerseys in the league. That boy Jamal Murray went off again. Jokic went off again. And we get this to game seven. All the pressure is on Los Angeles now. The team. That front. The team. That was the best front running team in the league. Was now in game seven. And even me as a Nuggets fan. I didn't want to believe that we could have a chance to win this thing because of the rep that the Clippers had. And I think I believed more in Kawhi than I believed in anyone else because I didn't think Paul George was going to be that dude. But Kawhi's cold. It was great for most of this series. I thought he'd be able to pull it out because he was the best player in this series, as history would show. But that quickly changed in Game 7. Clippers went up 11 in the second quarter. They puffing their chest, they getting and ones, they talking smack, they getting loud. Okay. But what they forgot to do and what they never learned to do was to step on the throat of their opponent and not give them any more life. We went down 11. Jamal Murray said, I ain't taking it no more. Immediately went on a run by himself Got the lead cut down to two like that to end the half. Now the Clippers are nervous. Because the Nuggets have been in 3-1 situations before. And they're coming one more time. Down 16, game 5. Down 19, game 6. Game 7. Where we at? Only down 2 at the half? Come on. Jamal Murray Flurry, 25 in the first half. 
Third quarter starts. Jokic, Jamal Murray, pick and roll, which was something that Michael Porter Jr. himself criticized because our offense was too predictable. He was right. But guess what? In this game seven, we unlocked the keys to it. We did not fall in love with Murray falling off the trap. We did not fall in love with Jamal Murray trying to create one-on-one. What Jamal Murray and Jokic ended up adjusting to and what the Clippers never adjusted to was Jamal getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Once he did that, he was getting doubled off these screens the entire series and he couldn't handle it, but finally adjusted in the later stages of this series. Quick drop-offs to Jokic and now what do you have? The best passing big man in the game, one of the best passers overall the game has ever seen in four-on-three situations now. So for the entire third quarter, he was picking the Clippers apart. Off the screen and roll. He gets it in the high post area. You know he's really good in the mid-range. You know he's really good with the floaters. He was able to take his time because you know all he does is take his time. He was able to take his time, assess what the defense was going to give. Four on three, somebody's going to be open. Fake a pass, get it to a guy. And credit to the shooters being ready on this team because we have been inconsistent with the 15th best three-point shooting team in the league. Gary Harris was ready. Jeremy Grant was ready. 14 points each, a couple of threes made by each of them. And that's a key for Denver moving forward, but especially a key for this game. Because like Michael Porter Jr. said, we needed to be unpredictable. We needed other guys to step up. And guess what? They did. Third quarter, up by eight. Clippers are done. I ain't want to believe it because I can't be objective. It's my team. But going into the fourth, they, the, the Nuggets got the lead up to double digits with Jokic on the bench. And me being a Nuggets fan and knowing all the bad stuff that has happened to my team as long as I've been a fan, I still did not want to believe it. I had my girl ask me at five minutes when they were up double digits, hey, you good? Y'all won. I'm still not believing it. It was only until the two-minute mark when Jamal hits the Blickow three from the sideline and and they get a steal right after Jeremy Grant dunk up 22 minutes. I am ready to celebrate. That was the moment I knew. I was ready to let my guard down. That was it. We did it. And guess what happened on the other side? Lou Williams. Lemon Pepper Lou, Magic City Lou, missed wide open layup. Playoff P, I'm going to get to him in a second. I ain't even going to say his name yet. Montrez Harrell, nothing. Jermichael Green, bangs a dunk off the back of the rim. Zubas, nothing. I even talk about Jokic having a trip dub in the third quarter. And then we got this dude. Oh my God. Playoff P. 
Way off P. Dude was shooting shots off the side of the backboard. Side of the backboard. But this is his rep, man. I can't even I can't even front. I'm gonna talk a little bit about more him in a second, but only finish with ten points. That is a goddamn shame. And the reason I'm mentioning this man last is because he deserves a proper critique. Kawhi Leonard. Now, Kawhi is absolutely incredible. He deserves almost all the adulation he has received because he is one of the best come from 0 to 100 stories the NBA has ever seen. NBA Finals 2014, he was part of a collective. Almost anyone. Danny Green almost won the Finals MVP because he hit a he hit like a record NBA. He hit like a record amount of threes in the NBA Finals. He was shooting the lights out. He almost got the Finals MVP. But Kawhi got it. And a good portion of the reason was because of his defense on LeBron in 2014. LeBron still averaged like 28, but still it was good, right? <laughs> he gets the Finals MVP. In his uh, third season. Then he goes to Toronto. And he has an incredible run. Can't take anything away from him. For getting that team to the finals. Because he was absolutely outstanding. Especially in the four games. Taking out Giannis. And the game winner against Philly. It's a title. It counts. It's gonna count. It's always going to count. The Warriors were down... Kevin Durant. That means something. We're not going to take away the title from him. Because he deserves it. And that's a big thing in terms of players being able to stay healthy at the right time. And that's what the Warriors sacrificed. They sacrificed depth for star power. And it worked two years out of the three. That's a success. The third year it didn't. But it's something that needs to be mentioned. Kawhi has been absolutely incredible. Game 7, he was garbage. 6 for 22 from the field. 2 points in the second half. A donut in the fourth quarter. I think this is the first time you can ever truly put real criticism on this man. Because the weight of the expectations were there. He did not meet them. And I think this is the first time in his career that's actually happened. San Antonio, it's not there. Toronto, it's not there. This was the first time he had it, and he came up short. Now, he still has two titles and two finals MVPs, so we can't dig at him too much. But he did not show up Tuesday night, and we hold him to a certain standard. He's one of the top five players in this league. Do not lose sight of that just because they collapsed. But the talk of him being the best player in the world should not be there. You can't go 6 for 22, score 0 points in the fourth quarter of an elimination game when you are the favorite and play like that and expect the same praise that you had before. We're going to look at it a little differently now. But let me get to Mr. Paul George. His comments after the game ensure that I don't care how talented he is, I would never want him on my basketball team ever. 
And this is him coming off a season last year where he was third in MVP voting. He was incredible for the Thunder a year and a half ago. Paul George was disgusting and not in a good way. Four for 13 from the field, 10 points. Are you kidding me? Again? Game seven, close out. This is your season. You're the favorites. You were up 3-1. You can't do better than 10 points? Looked up the stat. There have been nine times in Paul George's career he shot under 25% in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Nine times? Max player? One of the best two-way guys in the league? Third in MVP voting last year? And he... Gets you 10 points in a closeout game? I am disgusted. And it's more disgusting because he said this season wasn't championship or bust. Shit else it was. You were the favorite. Betting odds. Before the season even started, you were the favorite. You talked about it. Your whole team talked about it the entire season. But as soon as things got hard guys bailed out the team with has patrick beverly's bum ass talking to dame on the bench he's not even in his league trying to talk shit pep pep get the get out of here man joe 11 point ass you can skedaddle now take your tims to cancun boy paul george you had championship expectations this was a championship or bust team. When you give up 900 first-round picks and young talent for you, oh, you better show up with more than 10 points in a game seven. And you better not be in the press conference talking about this wasn't championship or bust. It was. And you didn't show up once again. Closeout series in Utah. Gets waved, gets waved by by Dame last year. He has a history. He comes up short in the postseason. Incredibly talented. When he was coming up with Indiana, he had some incredible games. He has shown a history nine times in the postseason. That's more than that's more than a blip, y'all. That's a trend. Nine games under twenty five percent shooting for him. You look at him, and that's happened to him nine times in the postseason. I don't want to hear about him no more. He can be top 15, top 20, regular season, whatever. In the postseason, I don't trust him, never will. Of course he can change this narrative if he plays better. But what has shown you that he will? Absolutely nothing. Great talent. And just like a guy like James Harden and just like a guy like Russell Westbrook, incredible regular season talent. Don't bring him near my team in the postseason. Don't want to hear it, Paul George. Do not want to hear it. And one more time before I get into the nitty gritty, shout out to my Denver Nuggets, man. Every show led with the Clippers, whether they do this and that. Give credit to what Denver did. Give credit to the defensive adjustments they made. 
they're not going to say it, but the announcers will cling to narratives. And just like Michael Porter Jr. not playing defense in the first uh, couple of games against Utah, he adjusted and he got better. We stopped switching and leaving him on, guys. His rotations are better. Big rebounds and big blocks to end big games in both series. And I already went on my cape talking about what this kid should and shouldn't do and what I need and what's proper defense for this kid. He showed up. And as long as he's competent defensively, offensively is where he's really going to stand out. We'll see what he does against the Lakers. But he has improved. And if you continue to say he hasn't, you casual or you're not watching the games, I don't want to hear your opinion. But shout out to my guys, Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris. Jeremy was shooting terribly, found a way to get it cooking in the game seven. Gary Harris, whose shot was broken for the entire regular season, for some reason plays two rough games against Utah and now can hit an open jump shot. And because of that, his value increases exponentially because of how great of a defender he is. Monte Morris, steady off the bench. Mason Plumlee, giving good minutes. Torrey Craig even hitting a couple shots. And Jokic, you are the man. Best big man in the league. Don't want to hear it. Joel Embiid, sit down. Gobert, you got knocked in the first round. We don't want to hear it. Anthony Davis, don't play center. So he is not in this conversation. Best center in the league, no question. 16 points. Only 16 points, but 22 rebounds, 13 assists. Big time. Best center in the league. Best passing big man we've ever seen. Jamal Murray, 40 big ones. Struggled for a big portion of this series. Found something that clicked. Changed the game plan. Got this team back out the mud. Won another series. Shout out to Jamal Murray. I'll talk about Lakers Nuggets in a second. But give props to my team. Shout out to the Denver Nuggets objectively for being down 3-1 to this incredible Clippers team and finding a way to fight back once again. No team has ever had it, let alone two 3-1 comebacks in the same postseason. To do it back-to-back, absolutely incredible. And you can blame it on the bubble, and maybe you can a little bit because there's been so much craziness happening. But give credit where credit is due. Denver won this series, they were the better team. Let me go ahead and get into Miami-Boston a little bit. Incredible game in its own right. 117-114 in overtime off the strength of Bam Adebayo. One of the most incredible blocks you will ever see in your entire life. One of the best playoff blocks ever. Dude's hand was bent backwards. How he didn't break his wrist when tossing Jason Tatum shit, I have no idea. I tweeted out that it reminded me of the Amari Stoudemire block against Tim Duncan because it's the exact same kind of block. Look it back up. I think it was 2007 or 2008. Amari's hand is in the rim, bent all the way back. It's almost exactly the same. It's not as impressive, but it's damn near close. No one's going to talk about it because I don't think anyone remembers little stuff like that enough. But that block was absolutely incredible. I remember watching that game live and seeing that. It's up there with the LeBron block on uh, Tiago Splitter 
and of course the LeBron block against Iggy 2016 finals. Um, it's up there with the Reggie Miller block when he was blocked by Tayshawn Prince, who came out of nowhere and tossed it. Um, it's one of the best blocks of all time. No question. Bam, saved that game. And he had almost a triple-double doing the same things he always does, 18-6-9. Incredible from Bam Adebayo. But let's go ahead and talk about the game a little bit as a whole. The Heat, once again, were in their all-around bag. Four guys scoring above 18 points. Once again, led by Goran Dragic. Nobody was saying a word about Dragic before the postseason started. He has been. It's hard to say, but I would say he's been their second best player. He's been so crafty and creative offensively. It's a tie for him and Bam. I'll say that. But he's been so crafty and so smart with running this offense for Miami. Give him all the credit in the world. Drogic with 29, continuing to show that he's obviously still a productive player in this league. Jay Crowder was the X Factor that night 22 points now he couldn't shoot a lick last year for memphis 29 percent from three gets traded to miami ticks that up to 44 percent and he's been carrying that hot streak into the postseason he scored in double digits in every game for the heat except one x factor once again he made five threes and still brings that toughness and that defense And then you have Jimmy Butler. And this is why Miami is so good. He's their best player. Third leading scorer. Best player. Third leading scorer with 20. While still giving you that grit, toughness, and defensive and defensive tenacity. And that's why Miami is such a good team. I haven't even mentioned Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. That's why Miami is that good. And even with all that, let's talk about what the Celtics have. They were obviously in this game throughout, taking leads here and there. They got another Marcus Smart abnormal shooting playoff game, which I don't know how abnormal it's going to be now. It seems like it's just happening more frequently. 34% shooting from three in the regular season. All of a sudden, he's Steph Curry. He made six more threes en route to 26 points. I don't understand it, but if you're Boston, hey, I guess ride it while it's hot. You got to ride the hot shooting while it's hot, right? Tatum led with 30, but he was only 10 of 24 from the field. Probably took a couple more tough shots than you'd want. Um, That shot at the end of regulation, yeah, it's tough. Even though I thought it was going in, tough shot, man. And 10 of 24 from the field, and eh, it's tough. And I think... That shot influenced how he wanted to run that last play when he went up against Bam. He went for his patented dunk, cocked the ball all the way back. Bam was ready with the left hand, took it out. And then you had Kemba Walker. Once again, struggling for this team. Now you see, there was a lot of people who were saying Kemba Walker's disrespected. Kemba Walker this and that. There's a reason why Charlotte had only a certain ceiling for that team. He brought them to the playoffs a couple times. Spanked in the first round each time. You know why? There are limitations to what Kemba can do. He can't be the best player on your team, but 
If he's the second or third best, he needs to start acting like it. 19 points, but shot 6 for 19. Once again, struggled. He's been struggling with games ever since the end of the Toronto series into this Miami series. He needs to be better. If Boston wants a shot, he needs to be better. But despite that, Celtics should still feel good. They had a chance to win that game in regulation, and it went into overtime with their best players not shooting that well. And with their best players not shooting that well, their defense is still there. They're still able to switch everything. They still match up pretty well with Miami. And they could easily be up 1-0. So the fact that they were still able to be that close, and it shows how much offensive versatility they have, they should still feel good in this series. Now for an overall prediction. we're gonna I believe we're going to get to Game 5 the next time we I get to go ahead and get out another podcast. I think the Celtics are still going to win this series. They're going to get Gordon Hayward back, and while I don't count on him being that big of a of a factor, he's going to be able to round out the rotation more, be a nice playmaker, and a guy who can hit shots. And that just ups Boston's offensive versatility and defensive versatility. They'll have so many guys who can make plays and hit shots, I think that's going to overcome Miami, who's looked absolutely incredible this postseason. But I look player for player, and I look at Boston once they have Gordon Hayward back, even if they don't. For Boston to be right there in that game with an opportunity to win by not playing well, Miami had almost everyone play well, and they still almost lost this game. Boston had a a couple of guys struggling. And a couple of shots go win. Boston is up 1-0, and we're not talking about this. I think Boston ends up taking this series. I think it's going seven, because I think they're really that close. But overall, I think Boston's going to go ahead and win this series. I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Because you have Eric Spolster and Brad Stevens, two incredible coaches who are going to be putting on a chess match for sure. Can't wait to see how it works out. It's going to be really fun. I had the season seven. We'll see how they do tonight. All right, just in case you didn't hear me talk about my nuggets enough, we had to take a crap on the Clippers, you know, so they can go to bed. They're done now. We're going to talk about the Western Conference Final, the Nuggets, and the Lakers. LeBron just been chilling, playing Madden, smoking cigars, ain't been doing nothing for forever. First time that they've met in the Western Conference Finals since RIP Kobe 2009. The other peak of my Nuggets fandom when we took the Lakers 6, Carmelo and Kobe. An epic matchup for the ages. If you haven't seen it, go look up your highlights. Every time they come up on the timeline, I retweet them. Every time they come up on the Instagram, I share them. It was one of the best one-on-one matchups I've seen from two guys. And, of course, my Nuggets team getting to the Conference Final. That's the furthest... They've ever gone in my history of being a fan. It was incredible to watch. Look at the season series for these teams. Lakers are 3-1 and one in the regular season in the bubble. The three games that mattered, um, or technically 4-1, and 3-1 one, and one in the regular season. Only three of those games actually mattered because LeBron didn't play in one of the games, and that's when the Nuggets won by 20. 
and then the bubble game, the Nuggets didn't play anyone in the fourth quarter. So, no, I'm not counting Kyle Kuzma's bum-ass game winner. Sorry. But other than that, the Lakers have looked absolutely dominant in this series, in this matchup against the Nuggets. AD's averaged 29-9. and LeBron's averaged 29-12-6. So, to say the least, we can't stop them. Murray, 18-5-4. Jokic, 16-6-6. Obviously, incredibly, incredibly low-performing matchups, especially compared to what they've been doing in the postseason. But you take those things and you mix them all together and try to come up with a a way to figure out how this series is going to go. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are not the same players that they were in the regular season. So you have to to adjust your thoughts when you take into account what they were averaging in the regular season. But there's a reason why they struggled. And there's a couple of things that Denver needs to work on. But matchups and problems that the Lakers present. The Lakers bigs. Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee had no business being on the court in that last series against Houston. They do now. They're going to need every big man on that court to try to deal with Jokic. Jokic did not have good matchups against the Lakers. I watched those games. There were certain times where it looked like they punked him. And this is something that Paul Millsap talked about when the team was trying to get when this team was starting to get pushed around a little. And this is something Will Barton brought up as well. Think, teams think that the Nuggets are soft. This ain't the regular season no more. This is the postseason. But Jokic does struggle with athletic bigs. Dwight Howard, athletic. JaVale, athletic. Anthony Davis is going to guard him from time to time, athletic. They even had LeBron guard him sometimes. So Jokic is going to have to find ways to get into his bag offensively, score a little bit more, because the, uh, the Lakers aren't just going to double-team him outright. If he starts getting it going, they might switch Anthony Davis on him. But the Lakers are going to have athletic bigs flying to the offensive glass. Jokic has to be smart, not foul. And find a way to be a good defend or a good rebounder defensively, as well as the rest of the team collectively being there to defensive rebound. No one on Denver can really score, uh, stop or slow down LeBron James. Torrey Craig will probably start in this series, maybe. Actually, no. That's what they did last season. I think they're going to stick with having Jeremy Grant guard him because he, at least he's 6'9, but Jeremy's giving up like 50 pounds. So it's. And LeBron averaged 29, 12, and 6. I don't see him having any struggles with anyone who's guarding him. So we're going to have to do our best to try to hold LeBron to being a jump shooter and contesting those shots. LeBron's the best player in the game. You can't really stop him. You just got to hope that he's the guy that beats you and not him finding every open guy for open looks. So, And we got to hope that we don't go against playoff Rondo for some reason. But LeBron can't be stopped. Hopefully slowed down. And in the games that he gets slowed down, we have to take advantage, and the Nuggets have to win those games. And the Nuggets have on and off three-point shooting. Like I said, 15th in the league in shooting from the three-point line, 44%, 34%, and 20% in the games that mattered in the regular season. They need to be better. They were good in Game 7 against the Clippers. The games that they've won, obviously they've shot better from the three-point line. They need Michael Porter Jr. to get it back offensively in terms of shooting from the perimeter. He's been a little shaky, um, but hopefully he regresses back to the mean of the good of the good end because he shot 42% regular season. 
He's been a little bit of a slump with the jump shot, but he should be able to get it back into gear, hopefully, against the Lakers. And then the Nuggets just need guys like Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, when they have their open opportunities to make them. And you need Jamal to make about five or six per game because he's the one who's going to be the primary ball handler, primary shot creator, and you need Jokic to maybe get you two or three at night. That's how you get up to that 12-15 mark. And if you get 12-15 to 15 against this Lakers squad as a Nuggets team, you're going to have a chance. But in order for them also to win, they need Jamal and, and, and Jokic to be great every night. And then the third guy needs to step up. The third guy doesn't have to be one person. It can be a collective. It can be a Millsap and a Harris. It can be a Grant and a Porter. It can be a Monte Morris and somebody else. It has to be a third guy to help out Jokic and Murray when they are great. And they have to get key stops at the right times. It doesn't have to be, we can't. We don't have to just shut them down because we can't. But if we can get key stops in key situations, you're up eight with four minutes to go and you get a stop that gets your lead to 11. Or if you're down six, you get a stop, hit a three, get down three. Those are the key stops that we need in order to try to win this game. Lakers preview, honestly, your guys' preview is not that long. You're the favorite. You should win this series. You have the best player, and you have the two best players in this series. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, both all-NBA first-team members. Anthony Davis continued to be an aggressive player. Attack the basket. You're not going to get your shot blocked because there's no rim protection there for Denver. Continue to attack the rim. Don't just be a floater. The one thing that made me a little mad is because the one game that went to the regular season or in the regular season that went to overtime against these two teams, Anthony Davis in the overtime hit two threes. What the F? He's he's a 33% three-point shooter. So if he continues to float, Denver will continue to invite it. He needs to be use his athletic ability and his quickness to get around the bigs that Denver has, score in the mid-range a little bit, and mix it up with some some dives to the bucket lebron's gonna find them they're gonna work pick and rolls they're gonna be able to get open lebron's just has to be lebron he's gonna do his thing i don't really have anything to say about lebron he's just gonna be great and then the lakers need one more guy so i said that the third guy for denver the lakers need the same thing whether it's rondo somehow turning back the clock caruso even kuzma um kcp hitting some open shots danny green hitting open shots that's what they're gonna need in order to try to beat or try that's what they're going to need in order for their team to advance to the finals and beat the Nuggets. Those are pretty much the keys for both squads. Finding that third piece. Whatever third piece or other guys show up will determine which team which wins which games going forward in this series. And as much as I have loved this ride, it has been the most up-and-down, roller coaster, heart-stopping, heart-throbbing postseason I have ever been a part of. And there aren't even fans in the stands. I would love to say and love to pick my team to move on to the to the NBA Finals for the first time in their history. But I have to be objective. And I picked the Lakers from the beginning of the season to win the title because I believe the combination of LeBron and Anthony Davis would be too much. I'm going to continue to do it. And there's a lot of Kobe symmetry here too, which I kind of believe in as well. Someone laid out a tweet. They're like, once again, a game, uh, a guy looking for his fourth title, LeBron, same as Kobe, um, in Orlando. This is in Orlando. That's when Kobe won it. 
against the Nuggets Western Conference Finals. Once again, a lot of connections there. So I believe in that type of stuff, and I also just believe in the objective X and O's. I believe that LeBron and AD will be too much. I think the Lakers close this out in six. But don't go up 3-1. That would be really funny. Or please go up 3-1. That would be incredibly funny. But yes, I, I believe the Lakers will win this in six. If my Nuggets somehow pull off this upset, this will be the upset of the century. Absolutely insane. And then maybe the Clippers will try to fire back. And I can have more NBA Twitter madness. But that won't happen. I would love for it to happen. But I'm thinking the Lakers will win in six. But it will not take away from my shine and my happiness from how this Nuggets team came back once again from 3-1. Shout out to the boys for doing it once again. And I'm going to be closing out the show with that once again thank you guys for listening you have been listening to the good look podcast i'm your host leonard pinkney aka agent p aka l pinkney giving y'all another episode please like rate share and subscribe um write me a review i got two y'all if i can get another review on apple podcast it'd be really appreciated tag me and everything that you guys share it's most most appreciated thank you guys again for listening we'll see how these playoffs shake out y'all hope you have a good one